Well, good morning. It's great to see you this morning. We're, I'm excited to get into our new By the way, they've, uh, the construction, the, the access road around the construction, you can use that today if you need to. Hopefully that will help you out. But I am excited about starting our new series today. Uh, what's the difference? Pastor Kevin will be talking in the next few weeks about uh, world religions like Islam and cults like Scientology. And so that's coming up. I know you want to be back. But today, hey, we, we all know what it's like. We've all had it happen. It's, you know, Saturday morning, and we haven't quite got ourselves going yet, you know. And, and there's a knock at the door, and you open the door, and there's two guys standing there with smiles on their faces, and they want to hand you some reading material. And you're wondering, okay, are these guys Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, what are they? You know there's something going on. And, and sure enough, you look at the back of the material, and it says, Watchtower, and you know these guys are Jehovah's Witnesses. And what I want to talk about today is how we react when they're at our door. If you're a believer, the thing I want to encourage you to do today is to talk to them. Okay? Don't shut the door. Don't walk away. Talk to them. Talk to them for several reasons. First of all, because if they're talking to us, they're not talking to someone else. Okay? And because what we believe they're teaching is false, we don't want to let that spread any more than we can. So talk to them for that reason. Talk to them because the Bible has told us to. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify Christ Jesus as Lord in our hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account. To everyone who asks you. That includes those two guys at your door or ladies, whatever. To give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So we need to talk to them because we're told to, and we need to make sure we're talking to them in the right way. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you'll know how you should respond to each person. Let your speech always be with grace. We don't have to go on the attack. We don't have to be defensive. We don't have to be angry. Let it always be with grace. Season with salt because we want to impact them. We want to give them the truth. The truth from God's word is what, is what will bring the salt to it. And, of course, on the other hand, we don't want to encourage them in any way. Second John 10 tells us, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the teaching about who Christ really is, it says, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. So we, we don't want to do anything to help them along. We don't want to do anything that will encourage them in some way, make them feel good about what they're doing. No, we want to talk to them, but we want to talk to them in the right way, with grace, but with truth. We should also talk to them because we're concerned for them. See, uh, we want them to know the life-changing message of who Jesus is. And I know that's a, that's a challenge for them to change, I mean, probably a lot of us have had those conversations already with Jehovah's Witness and other cults, and you know they're 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 deceived, they're blinded from the truth, and there's very little chance from our perspective of them actually turning their lives to Christ. But God can do anything, right? And God can change their heart and their minds and allow them to see truth. And so we want to we want to have an opportunity for that to happen. So we want to tell them the truth. And if it doesn't happen, we want them to walk away at least questioning. What I want to do today is talk about three areas that, that they're messed up in, and there's a lot of them, but I just want to talk about three that you can challenge them on as they're at your door. Three, really to me, simple things that you can say, hey, if they're at my door, what do I say to them? 
what I want to, what I talk about. Here they are, okay? They're at your door. What do you say to them? Challenge their source, first of all. Actually, they have two sources that they rely on. The first one is their translation of the Bible that is called the New World Translation. They believe it's the best translation available, but man, there's some huge problems with it. For instance, for years, Jehovah's Witness would not let you know who was the translation committee. They, would, they told no one who was involved in making this translation. Supposedly, they were doing that to keep these men humble, but eventually it came out. Turns out, um, it was five guys. Not the hamburger place. Okay. <laughs> Although, actually, they probably had as much chance as these guys did. Um, five guys, four of them had zero training, zero knowledge of Greek and Hebrew. Okay? The Old Testament, we translate the Old Testament from Hebrew, the vast majority of it, and the New Testament from Greek, the vast majority of it. There is no possible way to make a translation of the Bible when you have no knowledge of Greek and Hebrew. Four of the five guys had none. The fifth guy said he had training in Greek and Hebrew, but when he was given a simple test, he failed it. And that was a translation committee for the New World Translation. That's what they rely, that's their source. Compare that to the translation committee for say, for example, the New American Standard that we use. Look at this slide. This, these are the names of the guys that are involved. You'll notice there's a lot of guys, right? These guys are all scholars. They all have a, a doctorate in front of their name because they're, they're scholars. They are experts. They are trained linguists. They have had years of experience, and that's who was involved in making this translation. There is no comparison from the New World Translation Committee to the New American Standard. And this is the way it is with every good translation, modern day translation. This is uh, obviously part of the problem with, the, with this translation, the New World Translation. It's so poor. That's why legitimate linguists have universally denounced it. But it's also denounced because they came at the translation with such a bias in trying to, to make it say what they wanted to say. And what they try to do is they try to, throughout the text, is try to deny that Jesus is equal to the Father. Okay? Let's look at a couple examples. Colossians 1.15. This is, this is the New World Translation. It says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. They say, whoa, right there. See? He's the firstborn of all creation. That means that he's not the eternal God, but that he was created Firstborn of all creation, we'd say no. The point is the exact opposite of that. They've missed the idea of what firstborn meant at that time. We think of it as, we think of it as, as chronological. That's not the point. Jesus was also called the firstborn from the dead. But Jesus was not the first person resurrected from the dead, was he? You got Lazarus. You got the widow's son at Nain. You got other people who are, who are resurrected from the dead. Why was he called the firstborn from the dead? Because he was the preeminent one. He was the one who was supreme, resurrected from the dead. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the fact that Jesus is supreme over all creation. He's higher than it. He's holy. He's, he's transcendent over creation. So they've missed the point 
exactly. They go on. They say, because by means of him, verse 16, because by means of him, all of the things were created in the heavens and on the earth, the things visible and the things invisible, whether they are thrones or lordships or governments or authorities, all other things have been created through him and for him. Also, he is before all other things, and by means of him, all other things were made to exist. You notice the word other there several times in those verses. You know, the problem with that word other is it's not there in the Greek. So they stick it in four times. They just stick it in there because they want to. Why? Because they're trying to make a point. They're trying to say Jesus was created, and then he created all other things. See, if Jesus, didn't, if Jesus created all things, then obviously he's not cre- a created being. But if he can say he created all other things, then you can say Jesus was created, then he came along and created everything else. That's their problem. That's what they do throughout the text. That's the type of stuff they do over and over again trying to make their point. John 1.1, 1, 1, maybe the most infamous translation that they've got. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, a God, an inferior God, not the God, an inferior God. And they say the reason they do that is because the, the article, the, isn't there in the Greek. And they're right about that. And that's why they say they translate it as a God. But the article, the, isn't there because of the point that John is making. And it's, again, just the opposite of the point they're making. It's like this. If, I, if, you're, if you're in the football, and if I said to you, boy, we're just a few weeks away, football is just around the corner. Yeah, I mean, you'd be, well, I don't know what comes to your mind. Maybe it's, the, maybe it's all the fans. Maybe it's what's going on on the field. Maybe it's food. You know, maybe it's your, if you're, your kid's playing on Friday night, it's Friday night. If you're in a college, it's Saturday afternoon. If you're in the NFL, it's Sunday afternoon and Sunday night and Monday night and Thursday night. <laughs> you know, if you're, and you're, and you, when I say football just around the corner, you're, you're getting the bigger picture. But if I said to you, the football is just around the corner, you'd be going, what football? Uh, What corner? And why are you telling me this? You know, it gets more specific. It gets more narrow when I throw in the. It gets more restrictive. But what John is saying by leaving out the the is everything that God is. The word was God. All that he is in his holiness and his justice and his love. All that he is, Jesus is. That's great stuff. But they come along and they completely strip the meaning of that out of the passage by saying, no, Jesus isn't God. Jesus is a lesser God. Terrible translation. They challenge and strip the verse and the significance of who Jesus is. That's the way it is with the entire translation. Any place that has to do with the full deity of Jesus, they warp the passage. And I want to encourage you, if they're standing at your door, point that out to them. Challenge them on that. They they may not change. They may walk away from your door thinking you're a lunatic and they're and they're and and they're just and and 
and they're convinced of their truth, it doesn't matter. We still as a, have a responsibility as those who follow Christ to point out the truth. Challenge them on this. Tell them, New World Translation, it's unreliable because of the guys who translated it and their lack of knowledge and because of the bias that they went at it with. But they have another source, the Watchtower. That organization, the Watchtower Society, oversees all Jehovah's Witness worldwide, and they're the ones that put out all the material that they're trying to hand to you. They view the Watchtower as God's voice on earth. And so they're expected as Jehovah's Witness to obey it. And if they don't obey the Watchtower and what it directs them to do, then they can be kicked out. They can be disfellowshipped. And if you were a Jehovah's Witness, you would believe that the correct interpretation of the Bible can only come from the watchtower. That to read the Bible without it will take you the wrong direction. Now that's some arrogance, isn't it? All this in spite of the fact that it misrepresents passages consistently and, it, and the watchtower has produced numerous false prophecies. Let me just talk through a few of those. And by the way, they don't like the word prophecy. I, and and here, the, if you say Watchtower prophesies, they're going to challenge you on that word. But that's exactly what they do. They, I think the reason they don't like it is because they know that it's been wrong. And they know if, if, if a prophecy is wrong, that proves that this isn't coming from God. But they've prophesied. There's just no way around it. The guy who founded what eventually became Jehovah's Witness, a guy named Charles Taze Russell, back in the 1800s, made a prophecy that in 1914, that Jesus would return to the earth and establish his kingdom. So Jehovah's Witnesses, their predecessors, were all waiting for 1914. The problem was 1914 came along, and then 1914 passed, and no Jesus. Charles Taze Russell then looks at it and goes, oh, uh, what I meant to say was Jesus, he did return, but he returned to earth invisibly. That came in handy, didn't it? And he'll return to earth soon visibly. Okay. You can't do that. You can't make prophecies and then come up with some crazy explanation for it later when it doesn't turn out and say, this is God speaking. They made prophecies regarding the end of the earth, 1914, 1918, 1925, 1942, 1975. 1925, they said, they prophesied that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would be resurrected from the dead and they would go to live in San Diego. Not making it up. They, they were so convinced they would go live in San Diego that they went and built a mansion for, for them in San Diego. They never moved in. <laughs> 1975, they said human history would end and the thousand year reign of Christ would begin. A bunch of Jehovah's Witnesses bailed after this because it didn't happen. They've be recovered from that and have grown since then, but a lot of people recognize this is a false prophecy. For years, they had a phrase 
that their second president, a guy named Joseph Franklin Rutherford, originally said back in the 20s, he was referring back to that 1914 coming of Jesus, the invisible one. And he said, millions now living will never die. And boy, they hung on to that phrase and they talked about it. Millions now living will never die. Millions now living will never die. The problem is the generation that was around in 1914 started dying as the years went by. And so in 1995, they came along and they said, oh, yeah, what, we, don't, yeah we don't really mean to tie that to a generation. What we mean to say is that this will happen soon. They're wrong. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, wrong. They've also changed their view on major issues like vaccinations. For 20 years, the Jehovah's Witness, the Watchtower Society, forbid vaccinations. Then they dropped the restriction. Same thing happened with organ transplants. They were banned for 13 years. So the question is, and what I would challenge them on is regarding the watchtower, how does the supposed voice of God reverse itself? Point out to them that the watchtower doesn't speak for God, that it misinterprets scripture, that it has a history of false prophecies, that it's changed its position on important issues. Their sources are bad. Challenge them on that. The New World Translation, the Watchtower, they're, they're inconsistent. They're, they're untrue. They've been proven false. Challenge them on their sources. Then challenge them on their view of the sun. It's messed up. They believe Jesus, as we've said, is a lesser God. He's not God Almighty. They believe Jesus was created by the Father at, originally before he came to earth as Michael the Archangel. Okay, Jesus, before he was on earth, was created, and he was Michael the archangel. There's problems with that, obviously. Jude 9 uh, says this. It's sort of a, uh, 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 an unusual verse. Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, sort of cryptic here, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So we got Michael the archangel in some kind of dispute with, with Satan. And he's like, he's not pronouncing this judgment, but he says, the Lord rebuke you. Obviously, Michael knew he wasn't the Lord. And if you look at that short letter of Jude, several times in that, in that letter, Jude talks about the fact of Jesus Christ the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. In that text, when Michael refers to the Lord, he knows and is referring to Jesus himself. That's obvious. We have two separate individuals, not the same. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 5. The book of Hebrews is a great book, talking about the preeminence of Jesus over everything, over prophets over the law over whoever they wanted to name the Jewish people at that time the writer of Hebrews is pointing out that Jesus is supreme above it all and he talks about the fact that Jesus is supreme over angels in chapter 1 and he says this verse 5 to which of the angels did he ever say you are my son today I have begotten you it never happened he never said to an angel he never said to Michael today 
you are my son. I have begotten you. It didn't happen. To which of the angels? It didn't happen. And again, I will be a father to him, and he will, shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. There's obviously a difference between Jesus and angels. He never says to an angel, you're the son. No, what's he say about the angels? They're servants. They're, they're, they have a, a, a high and holy role in God's kingdom. But that role is to serve. But to the son, he says, your throne, oh God, is forever and ever. You, he's the eternal God. The, Jesus is not a created being. And Jesus was never Michael the archangel. They say, the watchtower says, after Jesus' death, there was no physical resurrection, only a spiritual resurrection. Well, that's not a resurrection at all. But clearly they're wrong. Luke 24, 39, Jesus was standing, he appears before the disciples after his death, and they're like, yikes, is this a ghost? And Jesus says to them, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Clearly he had a physical body. He had been physically resurrected. They think that Jesus came to earth just as a hum mere human, not God. So they make him something inferior to the Father. That's not what scripture tells us. Philippians 2 tells us he that he, he regarded equality with God, not a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Emptied himself. What's it talking about? That he voluntarily set aside some of his divine attributes and, then, and limited the use of them so that the almighty God came to earth for you and me and set aside some of his like like his all like his like his his power almighty god suddenly is on earth and grows tired and is hungry but he didn't regard equality with god a thing to be grasped what does that tell us it tells us that he was equal with the father of course they mistranslate that and they're going to give you a list of verses to show that he's not equal to the Father. They're going to try to, and they're going to misinterpret every passage. They, they want to read a passage to you and listen to him and look at it in your Bible and see, first of all, has it been translated wrong? And also see, and, but then listen to them and see how they're interpreting that passage and know that it's going to be incorrect. They'll get, they'll get all hung up on the word son. Take John 3, 16, for instance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And they'll say, see, he's the son of God. He's not God. He's not God in the sense that the father is. Well, actually, the word son indicates the fact that he is, in fact, full deity. We, we think of it sometimes as 
you know, is just as someone's child. But scripturally, it also carries this meaning of, of the order of, of the order of. So we, we see it used that way in the Old Testament. First Kings 20, 35 talks about the sons of the prophets, those who are of the order of the prophets. It's talking about those who are actually prophets. In, in Nehemiah 12, 28, it talks about the sons of the singers, those who are of the order of the singers. So they're actually singers. The son of God is of the order of God. He's actually God. Using the term son of God as a claim to full deity. The Jewish leaders understand that, understood that. That's why they said in John 5, 18, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They understood at the time when he was claimed, made the claim to be the son of God, that he was making the claim to be equal with the father. John 19, 7, the Jews answered him, we have a law, and by that law, he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. See, that claim in their minds was blasphemy. Why? Because they understood him to be because they understood that he was making a claim to be deity. I pointed that out to Jehovah's Witness one time. They said, well, yeah, they said that. But you believe that they weren't always right. I go, yeah, I don't believe they were always right. They, they weren't right in this, but they believe the same thing you did. You don't believe he is God, and they didn't believe he is God. So they were wrong, and you're wrong. But they were right in understanding that his claim to be the son of God was a claim to be God himself. I think I can believe what they understood culturally more than I can believe what you guys have come up with in the last 150 years. Challenge them on their understanding of the son knowing that they are totally deceived into believing that he is inferior to the Father. And again, they're probably going to walk away unconvinced. They think you're deceived. They think you're, you're incomplete in your knowledge. That's okay. Challenge them anyway. He is the real God, equal with the Father. And then challenge them on salvation. Obviously, yeah, if you get the Son wrong, you're also going to get salvation wrong, right? And that's exactly what happens. The, the witnesses believe that there's a, what they call a little flock that are actually going to make it to heaven. That little flock they get from the misinterpretation of Revelation 14 that talks about the 144,000. That's who they believe is going to be in heaven one day, 144,000. Only 144,000 of the, the elite, of the most faithful Jehovah's Witnesses will make it to heaven. All the other Jehovah's Witnesses and anyone else who comes to a knowledge of their truth according to them will get to uh, live on a cleansed earth. So very unlikely, even if you're a Jehovah's Witness, that you're going to make it to heaven. But if you want salvation to live on the cleansed earth, they say there's four things you got to do. So you, you know right off, right, they're wrong right here, right? Four things you got to do. 
to make to get salvation. Now they'll tell you all you got to do is believe. Same thing. The same thing with the, the Mormons. They'll tell you that you're saved by God's grace, and you think, oh, well, we we believe the same. No, we don't, because they throw in a completely different understanding of what that means. For a Jehovah's Witness to believe for salvation means you're going to do four things. First of all, you've got or have four things. You've got to have an accurate knowledge. You've got to have accurate knowledge that is, of course, according to them, the knowledge that comes from the watchtower. So you've got to you gain your knowledge from there. That's You've got to have that first of all before you'll ever attain salvation. Secondly, you've got to avoid debauchery. You've got to avoid an immoral way of life. It sounds good, you know, we would say as Christian, evangelical Christians that you have to avoid an immoral life. We should do that. We want to, we do it though because we are thankful that God has given to us freely eternal life. We do it because we want to honor him. We do it because we want to please him. We're, we're grateful for the gift that's been given to us. So we live, want to live life in a way that's faithful to his word. We are not doing it though to earn salvation, right? We, it's because it was given to us. They are doing it, or trying to do that, to earn salvation. A completely different thing. Third thing you got to do if you want to gain salvation is you got to join their society. You got to become a member of the Watchtower. They say this at one point. This is a quote from from them. It says, "Unless we are in touch." With this channel of communication that God is using, the Watchtower, we will not progress along the road of life no matter how much Bible reading we do. <laughs> You're not going to get saved by reading the Bible is what they're saying. The way you get saved is you join the Watchtower. And then the fourth thing you got to do is you have to proselytize. The reason those two individuals are at your door trying to give you material to read and talk to you is because they're trying to earn salvation. That's sad. You know, sometimes we talk about, as believers, we talk about, you know, boy, you know, Jehovah's Witness and Mormons, boy, they're out sharing their faith and they're more faithful than we are sometimes. And boy, that, that's, you know, you got to respect them for that. They're trying to earn salvation. It's way different than one of us who have come to know Christ, sharing our faith out of love and appreciation for what what he has done and love for other people. They are so into proselytizing and keeping records that every member has to turn in a monthly report of how much proselytizing they've done. So the fact that they're at your doorstep and handing out material, that'll go on their report. And they hope from that to earn salvation. Challenge them about what salvation is really about. Talk to them. The Bible tells us that salvation is a free gift given to us because of God's grace 
simply through faith. Nothing that we have done, nothing that we have earned. Challenge them on that. Challenge them on their source, challenge them on the sun, and challenge them on salvation. You know, you sit here this morning maybe, and hopefully you're, you, as you're listening, you're thinking, well, I'm so thankful today that I'm, as a follower of Christ, what I've been given. I mean, I've, we've been given this book, handled, passed down to us, and handled carefully and passed down to us, and translated by, by men who are men of integrity, men who are highly educated, men who are godly that's been passed down to us, given us this book that is faithful, that doesn't change. Aren't you glad you you know that you're going to come in, hopefully, and hear God's word and know that we're not up here saying some new thing that we've just completely flipped things around on you? I mean, what if that happened? Wouldn't you think then that there's nothing that's sure? If you can turn something around completely in in your teaching and go that route and say, this is right now, wouldn't you feel like you're walking out of here going, okay, I'm not coming back because there's nothing they have that can guarantee me that anything I'm hearing is going to be true tomorrow. We have a book that the prophecies in it are sure. They'll happen. There's plenty of prophecy that's already been fulfilled. We've not missed a single one. Aren't you good, glad today as a follower of Christ that you've been given this book? And aren't you glad that this book tells us about the Son of God, the eternal, transcendent, supreme Son of God who was willing to come to this earth, set aside some of those divine attributes in a limited way so that he could offer himself on a cross in payment for our sin? We don't serve an inferior God. We don't serve a lesser God. We serve the God of the universe. Aren't you glad for that? And aren't you glad that the salvation that you have come to know and love was given to you when that sovereign, supreme, transcendent God offered himself on the cross for you? And you don't have to earn any of it. In fact, you can't earn any of it. It's given to you as a free gift. And if you're, you're sitting here this morning, boy, and you haven't taken that step of faith, I'm asking you today, what's holding you back? It's so good. Talk to anybody here who's come to faith in Christ. Ask them about what that means to them. Ask them how good it is. Ask them what a difference it's made in their life. You want to talk to a pastor after the service over, you can go back right here to this room right here, room one. We will talk to you about that, answer any questions you have. You, you want to talk to us during the week, you can call and set an appointment. We will be glad to sit down and talk with you to explain to you more, answer any questions you have again, do whatever we can to bring you to that point. Please do not put that off. It's, there's nothing better in this world than knowing the Son of God as your Savior. But if you're already a follower of Christ and there are people at your door trying the best they can to earn a s- salvation, Do not shut the door in their face. 
Do not walk away. Do not be angry and frustrated and, and defensive. Talk to them about Jesus. Talk to them with grace and salt. Share him with them out of love for where they'll spend eternity. They need to hear the truth, and they're at your doorstep trying to talk about spiritual things. Talk to them. And challenge them. Do not let them go away unchallenged. Challenge them about their source and about the Son and about salvation. Would you stand with me? Father in heaven, we thank you today for your son and the gift of salvation that was given to us. We thank you for the truth that we have in your word. God, it's our desire to know you more fully, to love you, to serve you more faithfully. God, we seek you through your word. Through our own, Father, uh, uh, communion with you. God, we want to honor you with our lives. And God, we pray as we have opportunity in the days ahead, there's some here today, probably this week, who will run into someone who's a Jehovah's Witness. God, help them. Give us strength. Give us wisdom. Help us to challenge them that they would come to know you. That they would have eternal life through the gift of your son. And God, we pray for anyone here who hasn't taken that step, God, that they would take that step even today. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.